Hey, this is Matthew's Table podcast channel. We wanted to thank you for joining us today. Hope this inspires you, builds your faith, and reminds you of who you are, but more importantly, whose you are. I was supposed to be in that, but I can't dance, so Blair and M wouldn't let me join. Um, quickly, just good morning and welcome to the table. I'm glad you guys joined us. I know it's raining outside and nasty, but uh, what better day or what better thing could you do uh, on a day like this other than worship the Lord, right? Uh, for those of you online as well, we're excited that you chose to worship with us this morning. Um, we've prayed for this service specifically. Uh, we had a prayer night Friday night. It was amazing. Uh, we literally prayed out loud that we would experience a random encounter that nobody could explain. And I go into the bathroom and I come back into the sanctuary and Nick looks at me and he says, you're not going to believe this. And I'm like, what? What's going on? He said, so-and-so just walked outside real quick, checked something in their car and uh, bumped into a guy walking down the street. Asked him if he would want to come in and be prayed for and Sure enough, he, he's walking in, and I saw him, and he just kind of looked around, and he was like, yeah, I don't think so. Turns around, goes back out the door, and I was like, oh, heck no. So I chased him, and I ran out there, and I was like, hey, bro, what's up, man? Come on in. He comes back in and sits with us for about an hour, and the whole church got to pray over him, right? So, like, God answers prayers, and it's been good. Uh, it was exciting Friday night. Um, just some really quick other announcements uh, we're still collecting Easter candy for and eggs, uh, like the plastic ones that you put candy in, and there's a box back there. Uh, if you guys, next time you're grocery shopping or anything, can just pick up a real cheap bag of candy or plastic eggs and leave them back there, we would greatly appreciate it. It'd be, uh, be a huge benefit for our outreach on uh, April 3rd. We're still selling these Matthew's Table masks. Five bucks goes to the adoption fund. And these Connect cards, <coughs> we've recently uh, started paying a monthly fee to fill out or to send mass texts, not a group text, it's just a mass text and it updates those of you who are committed to Matthew's Table as to what's going on. And so some of you, this is the fourth week I've announced this, some of you have not filled these out because you thought, well, I've already filled those out, I probably, sh I probably don't need to, but you're not getting the mass text because we might not have your current information. So if you guys would fill these out, also for those of you online, there's a digital version. You can just get on our website and click it and fill it out and put in your information and then we can add you to this mass text. One mass text that got sent out this week was warning parents that there may be some things that we are talking about this morning that you might not want your kids to hear yet. So those are important things that we want to communicate with you all, all at one time without big, long versions of group text where everybody's... So please get Nick Martin or me or one of the leaders your phone number so we can get you added and uh, we can do that in a better way. Also, Stephen will be here shortly. He has all the giving statements. If you gave last year and you're doing your taxes and you want an, you want a giving statement, get with Stephen. He'll be here soon. Grab your program if you're in small churches. It's got questions to be answered and a place for you to put notes and upcoming events. So grab, get your program, get your program, okay? Men's event, Monday. Are there any men in here? Raise your hand. I'm trying to get a number of how many to feed. So 
Okay, so you're going to be there. All right, men's event, Monday night. Rob wants to show you a little something. You don't have to. You don't, we can do it next service. Men's, men's event, Monday night, 6 o'clock, food, fellowship, preaching. It'll be amazing. We hope you all join us. We need more men to step up and serve in the church. The women make us look really bad, so please come. We're going to be talking about Christian masculinity Monday night, all right? Guest speaker, amazing. You don't want to miss it. All right, we're continuing our... We've we, we got to get busy. We're continuing our study in Galatians this morning, wrapping up chapter... Five. And I don't know about you guys, but as far as preaching chapter uh, Galatians has been uh, considerably difficult. So chapter five has been a little refreshing to us because Galatians lean so heavenly, heavily on one necessary message of trusting in the work of God over our own works for salvation, what's been done by God as opposed to what we do to be right with God. Relationship, this personal, intimate relationship with a living God who's not far off and distant over a religion where we have to do things and we're obligated to get close to God. And finally, grace. Grace over law. Amen? And our new direction in chapter 5 of freedom in Christ has been so refreshing and so upliving. Just the, the, uh, the privileges that we have as a believer to live free in Christ. Verses 1 through 6 had emphasized our freedom from the condemnation of sin. So guilt and shame and worry and fear, things that the, belie the believer is no, no longer under, that condemnation that causes those things. And then last week, Nick walked us through verses 7 through 15 and did an amazing job where turning back to our old ways hinders our spiritual growth, compromises our freedom, right? But today, today is a good day. Today is a day that we all should appreciate expositional preaching because there is great detail in the Bible as to what God says is right and wrong for His children so that His children don't redefine what those things are. Preaching from, from the Word of God allows God to speak to the things He's made clear versus preaching with the Word of God to support one man's opinion. This morning we deal with difficult things that threaten our freedom in Christ. So I want you to hear me say that. There's no condemnation in Christ, but these things certainly uh, threaten our freedom in Christ. And for me, it's typically a maturity issue for the Christian. If you remember, the churches in Galatia were planted by Paul, and we know because it was dated that Galatians was the first letter that he wrote in AD 50. So the, the Galatians couldn't have been more than uh, 10 years old as a Christian, right? 
They were young churches, very immature, in their walk and in their faith, giving reason for the explanation of this morning's passage. What seems to be a grocery list of sin is really evidences to where we really are in our walk. So if you would turn with me to Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 26, and brace yourself for some toe stomping that's meant for our good. I almost didn't even wear shoes to church this morning because these, this passage had stepped on my toes all week long, but that's the intent of God's Word, amen? So, 16 through 26. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. What are they? Well, now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, jealousy, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us, let us also keep with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Amen. Saw some squirming in the seats as I was reading that. But hang on, because we're just getting started. And before we get started, let me make something real clear. We all struggle with sin and will until Jesus calls us home or comes back to get us. No one is without sin. No one. And everyone who's born again starts out spiritually as babes in Christ. You're Christian babies. This is important to understand when we're looking to the vices and the virtues of the Christian faith. Who through the Word grow into mature Christians. Now, I'm going to help you understand that. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 2, like I don't want to just say stuff and not have Scripture to uh, support it. This is what Paul tells the Corinthians. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food since you were not ready for it. In fact, you're still not ready for it. You know what that means? It's okay for us to understand where we're at in the maturity process as a Christian. But everybody gets so offended, right? Like, you don't get, offend, you don't get offended when somebody says, hey, that's a really good-looking toddler, if they're a toddler. 
right? What am I, hey, nice looking adult you got there. No, it doesn't make sense, does it? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, like newborn infants desire the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow up into your salvation. It's a maturity process. And then by the work of the Holy Spirit that lives within us. It's a process that the Bible calls sanctification, which is just a fancy word for our process of maturing in Christ. Growing to look more like Jesus, right? And I know that because what Jesus says in John chapter 15, verse 2. Every branch in me, every Christian that does not produce fruit, every fruit of the Christian that does not look like me, he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it'll produce more fruit. It's a process. You garden at all, you cut stuff back. Right? And so in Christ, we have what theologian, theologians would call remaining sin. Right? The world says, uh, they would call it, you're a hypocrite. They see you do things they know that the Bible says you shouldn't do. But theologians would say that there is this remaining sin that we continue to deal with. It serves a purpose for one of two things. Number one, by design, sin is something God uses to keep us humble. Right? Or else Paul wouldn't have talked about a messenger of Satan. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7b, which is this, the back half of that verse. Therefore, he just talked about this messenger of Satan that was a thorn in his flesh and was causing him issues. He says, therefore, so that I would not exalt myself, a thorn in the flesh was given to me a messenger of Satan to torment me so that I would not exalt myself. Number two, sin is evidence of spiritual war going on in your life and manifests itself because of a lack of immaturity designed to grow you up. Right? And oftentimes reveals where we are in that process. Let's look at what Paul says about this war in another place before jumping in that best illustrates that point. I'm going to take you to Romans chapter 7, verses 15 through 20. Many of you know this well. You'll use it as your excuse as to why you're doing things that you're doing. It's not an excuse. It's an explanation. Okay? Romans 7, 15 through 20. This is Paul speaking. Apostle Paul. Jesus Christ revealed himself to him. Right? Talk to him in person. This is what he says. For I do not understand what I'm doing because I do not practice what I want to do, but I do what I hate. Now if I do what I do not want to do, I agree with the law that is good. So now I'm no longer the one doing it, but it's sin living in me. For I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my flesh. For the desire to do what is good is with me, but there's no ability to do it. 
For I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I do not want to do. Now I do what I do not want. I'm no longer the one that does it, but it is the sin that lives within me. Amen? There's a conflict that takes place within the Christian as long as they're growing, as they grow. It's very similar to what a teenager experiences. Now, side note, I am not picking on a person, per se, a teenager, but a period of maturity growth. That season the teenager is in. Right, And my expertise is what's provided you all with this coming illustration. I've raised three, and now I'm on my fourth. Okay, And you may say, well, Roger, I've never raised a teenager. Yeah, but you've been a teenager. You know what I'm talking about before I even talk about it. And although the four of them each have been different and unique in their own way, the evil within them bent towards their sin tendencies has manifested itself the same way. They're no longer a baby or innocent per se because they're in this process of going from a child to becoming an adult, but they're not there yet. Still under the parent's authority, they struggle with obeying that authority because they want privileges that are meant for the adult but don't want any responsibility or accountability. So there's this war that rages within them that produces all kinds of attitude and ungratefulness, disrespect, complaining about everything, always pouting. My current teenager walks through the house, my, my life is horrible. Yeah, go, go out there and get in your 15 Chrysler 200 with your Vera Bradley backpack. Life's get out of here. Y'all know what I'm talking about. They have this thorn in their side towards the rules that we set for them that restricts and protects them from the freedom they desire, that flesh, to live the way we desire for them in the spirit. It's a real-life children of the corn experience as far as I'm concerned, if you've lived with teenagers. You might not know what that movie is. It's an old Stephen King movie where the uh, local teenagers, young adults, decide they're going to get rid of all the adults and take over. Right? Scary movie. Little devils, in my opinion, is what they are. But seriously, spiritually speaking, Immature Christians who are fighting that spiritual war, experiencing that conflict between the flesh and the spirit, are the children of the thorn. That's just for visual sake. I want you to think about that. Which is exactly what we're dealing with in our text today in verses 16 and 18. For example, Paul says, walk by the spirit. I've always wondered, like, what's, how do you do that, right? So I'm, I'm going to attempt to help with that. First of all, notice it's capitalized because it's the third person of God that dwells within us and makes for a perfect time to point out something I think is important. You can't truly be spiritual without the Spirit of God. 
You can't. But we say things like, hey, you know Bob at work? That dude's really spiritual, isn't he? I mean, that's a possibility. And yes, there are other spirits, but they're all demonic ones if they're not from God. The Bible says we are dead in our sins due to the fall of man. By disobeying God in the garden, they didn't die physically, they died spiritually. And then we inherited that from them, making us all spiritually dead. So you're either alive in the Spirit of God or you are dead in the sins that you commit in the flesh, right? I'm not saying that. That's what the Bible says. So the main role of the Spirit, not limited to, I'm saying primarily, the main role of the Spirit according to Jesus, who, by the way, is God in the flesh, without sin, told us in John 14, 26, but the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things, and listen, remind you of everything I have told you. That's what the Spirit does. It reminds you of the Word of God that you've read or that you've heard. And then in uh, John chapter 16, verses 8 and 9. And when the Spirit comes, He will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. About sin. Because they do not believe in Me. So for the believer to walk by the Spirit is to yield to its leading like oncoming traffic on an off-ramp that you fuel by your daily word intake. Y'all have gotten off onto the off-ramp before. You've been in a hurry and you needed to get to where you were wanting to go, but there's a yield sign that you have to obey. That's the same thing we do spiritually, is yield to the oncoming traffic so that we don't sin. The Word feeds the Spirit, guys, because they are both persons of God. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. And the Word became flesh. That's a person. Absolute truth is not an idea or a perspective or a worldview. It's a person. Right? And listen, there is no bypass to Highway 60. There is no bypass spiritually to righteousness and holiness for signs and wonders. We're babes in Christ when we're born again. Right? Consider this. The Holy Spirit is the only person of the Trinity referred to as holy. Right? Because its intention, its purpose is to make you like God the Father and God the Son, who, by the way, is the standard of holiness. It has no intention to make you hop and flop, but rather grow and glow. Some of us need to hop and flop, but most of us need to grow and glow. And so Paul, the apostle, takes time as the Galatians' spiritual father 
to have this little sit down in the letter of Galatians in chapter 5 to talk with his teenage Christians, pointing out what will be tolerated and what will not be tolerated as a maturing Christian. You're going to live in my house? This is what you should be doing and not doing. These are uh, common sins that the Bible speaks uh, a lot about. Um, you'll find them in 1 Peter 4, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Um, these first three that's mentioned are actually in first, or 2 Corinthians 12. So, uh, you know, Jesus in Mark 7 talks about many of these very same sins. So Jesus, Peter, Paul, they're all talking about these same things. The, and, and it's as if they know the maturing Christian going through the process. Because when I talk about teenagers, y'all know what I'm talking about. The attitude, the disrespect, the ungratefulness, right? It's not a personal problem. It's a period of life that they're going through. They're working it out, right? And in verses 19 through 21, Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, divisions, envy, drunkenness, and orgies. First thing to notice here is that what isn't to be tolerated is very evident. And a clear indicator of one's personal maturity, where you might be with Christ. And there's no room for excuse, nor any right to defend. Yeah, we all do that, don't we? Great Puritan preacher Henry Smith says, a sin is two sins when it's defended. And I'm not sure about you, but all my teenagers hated taking responsibility. It was always everyone else's fault. Dad, seriously, the teacher just doesn't like me. Right? They're picking on me. No, the driver's ed trainer that I went to, to do, he, I knew he didn't, I had a Jesus shirt on immediately. I knew he didn't like me. That's why I didn't do good on my tests. Dad, it's my brother's fault because of what he's done. Right? Like, and, and, and man, that's just, that's for example, it's visual sake. It's visual sake because that's what we do as believers. Which is just a lack of maturity. And some Christians have that same attitude toward their own sin that's similar to this meme that I saw this week. This person had posted on Facebook, I'm going to mess it up, but it, it, in keeping with where we're at in uh, our, our pursuit to Easter, this season of Lent, it's all about what you're giving up, and it had posted that this one guy said, Hey guys, it's, it's, I'm really proud of myself. I gave up fish on Fridays. What it doesn't say is he's still having an affair on his wife. Right? Like, where, How have we gotten to a point as the church where we think giving up something on a specific day compensates for what we're doing that's an abomination to the Lord? Right? So yes, some sin is more glaring in others and seems more wicked than other sins. But God says, if you break one, you break them all. So some of us Christians need to drop the rocks and quit throwing stones at other Christians. Oh, your sin's different than mine, so you must be worse. Or you might not even be a Christian, right? We do that. 
I also love this other saying that I've seen that says, you may want to worry about your own sin because God ain't going to ask you about mine on Judgment Day. Oh. Told you, man, my toe's been... <laughs> the only fruit that we like to inspect is everyone else's. Is what it comes down to. No one really wants to take a look at their own sin. And you might be thinking that, you know, we, as Christians, we have a responsibility to hold others accountable. And we do. And we do have a responsibility to hold true Christians, uh, we, to judge them based on the Scriptures. That's what Paul says. To which I say, amen. But today, we ain't talking about their sin. We're talking about our sin. Right? And can I be honest real quick? To focus on others' sin hinders your growth. And we all need to grow. Including me. Because, and, and this is important, because when we look at these different sins, we realize that they're all listed together. Uh-oh. And I guarantee you, some of the sins that you probably like to think that's worse than your own sin aren't first on the list. Next thing that we need to understand is that he lists these sins in a specific sequence. He categorizes them uh, for, uh, for best understanding. The first one is sexual, then there's worship, and then there's social. Okay, so they break down into those three different categories. And since we're on this subject, I want to be clear about something. There may be a difference in the nature of sins, sexual, worship, and social, but these aren't in order by severity. It, there's more sense to say that they're listed by the relational interaction of them. For example, sexual being something where you are sinning against God, you are sinning against yourself, where God lives in you, and you are sinning against the other person. Worship would be you are sinning against God, and social would be you are sinning against God's children. And I know that because 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 18 through 20, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So first on the list of sexual sins, now that we understand that well, is sexual immorality, which is where we get the English word pornography from. Porneia is the Greek word. But it's more about the act of, the sexual sin in action, including adultery, which is not just sexual intercourse, by the way, emotional affairs, incest, homosexuality, and premarital sex. I listed those in that order on purpose. Because the church is good about picking on homosexuals while overlooking their own sin. I know Christians who are living in sexual sin right now trying to correct other Christians' theology on Facebook. 
criticizing what they're reading or what they're doing and all these things. Meanwhile, they're just having a good old time. Right? Church, heterosexual sin out of wedlock is equally sinful because you're sinning against God, your own body, and causing the other person to sin. And I know, I know, I know the excuses. I know them. But we're going to get married. Well, in my eyes, we're already married. God knows my heart and my attentions. Problem with that is, is Hebrews 13, 4. God's already spoke on this. We want to change it. Trust me. I know. We want to change that. But Hebrews 13, 4 says, Let marriage be held in honor among all. And let the marriage bed be undefiled. You know how you defile the marriage bed? You get busy in the marriage bed. For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Woe to those who bring God's judgment on a couple, my opinion. Then you have impurity, right? Or it's oftentimes referred to as filthiness uh, in different translations. So it can be uh, from where you were sexual immoral, now I feel impure because of that. But it could also be the sinful de desire that leads to the act of sexual immorality. Also referred to as fornication, masturbation, sexual daydreaming, crude joking at the, at the opposite sex offense, fondling one another, foreplay, Listen, you guys might not think that a crude sexual joke at the expense of someone else's sexual orientation isn't that big of a deal, but I promise you it can form images in the mind of someone else and cause them to sin. There's no place in the church for any of that. And it's selfish to think sexual humor won't cause problems for someone else. Right? Sensuality, so sexual morality, impurity, and sensuality. Sensuality would be indulging in your sexual passionate desires by what you watch, read, and how you dress. Psalms 101, 3-4. I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. A perverse heart shall be far from me. I will know nothing of evil. Men. Pornography. It's a real problem. And it's not okay. It's not okay. You know, I read a statistic when I used to go to Men at the Cross and Promise Keepers and all those. I'd read, they had shared a statistic one time that when a Christian conference comes to town, hotel, pornographic material, purchases skyrocket. Why do you think that is? It is a coincidence, I guess, right? Pornography is a problem, and some of you are probably watching it. That's somebody else's daughter. That could be somebody else's wife, for Pete's sake, in the culture we live in. But more importantly, that's God's daughter. I don't know what just happened. Pornography. 
Movies with nudity in it. I, I, I know how we can easily uh, excuse that, right? Movies with nudity in it is sin, period. It is, it is soft pornography is what I like to call it. It is what it is. So when, and, and don't, don't act like you don't know, you know what I mean? Because when you get on Netflix and stuff, it'll tell you, you know, this, this, and nudity. That, that's why I can't watch that, right? Magazines and books that you might look at. Ads on social media. I know how uh, men can um, deal with this. You're scrolling. You know, I'm trying to see what Susie and them did for graduation the other night, and then, then there's some ad that you're scrolling across. It's showing a little more than what you know should be shown. And you've scrolled past. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Wait, did it say that I could? And you make an excuse to go back for the second look. It's sin, guys. It is what it is. Let's call it what it is. And I will tell you this. I've listened to man after man after man who's testified that pornographic material messages or videos that they saw as a child, the images are still in their mind today. 1 Timothy 2.9 Likewise, also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control. Modest is hottest. Ladies, I, listen, I understand there's a difference. I understand that you all interpret things differently than men interpret things. But what I am telling you as a man, before Christ specifically, that if you're flaunting something, men are interpreting that as you want more than just being a friend with them. I, I want you to hear that. Is this true? And I've, man, I, and I've talked to women in my own family, and they're like, well, that's just ridiculous. I'm just telling you it's the truth. It doesn't give an excuse for them to do things that they may do or had done to you, but I'm telling you it's true. So it matters what you wear to men because of how men are wired. God gave us a physical desire. We're attracted to pretty things. That's what happened in the garden. Oh, the apple was pleasing to the eye. I realize that men shouldn't gawk or stare at you. But you walking around with your stuff out is similar to setting up a booth up here to display the product that you're selling and getting mad at people for wanting samples. Sensual is also all your social media duck lip filtered post. I'm just going to be real with you. I understand. All that stuff where you're filtering yourself and you're, you know, let's get rid of all the blemishes so that people will think I'm prettier than what I am. Pretty's not on the outside, ladies. It's on the inside. And I promise you there's men looking at those images that you're doing innocently. You really are. I don't think you're maliciously, intentionally trying to market yourself, but that's how men interpret that. Right? I love y'all, but that screams, I am on the market. That's why you get these men in your inbox, because they interpreted that as just that. And you say, yeah, but, but on my profile it says that I'm married. You wearing a ring doesn't stop men from looking at that thing, I promise you. Next category is worship. 
We could spend a lot of time on all these things, and we, we just don't have the time. Worship, the sin of misplaced worship. Idolatry is uh, first, and it's uh, oftentimes probably the most talked about, but simply idolatry is prioritizing things over God, right? Like the first and second commandments say, don't place anything before me and don't create anything to worship. That's me summarizing. Don't put anything before me. I am God, right? But what I want to make clear so that everybody understands, because see, we're still hung up on the sexual sin. Oh, I hope Susie heard that. I know what's happening in y'all, some of y'all's minds right now. Y'all need to hear this, though. What I want to make clear is there are good things that we typically don't think of as idols. Career. I don't have time for church on Sunday. Roger, I got to work. I'm just, you know, if I, if I could just, I got school, I got work, and I got all these things, and I'll get to my Bible when I can. Idolatry. Money. But Roger, you don't understand, I got to provide for my family. So I'm going to have to work long hours and all these different things, and, and you know, I'd like to work on my recovery or in my, on my faith, but right now, you would agree, I have to provide. No, God provides for all things. And worshiping money is real. Kids can be an idol. Your children can be one of your, I've done it, can be one of your idols. Good things can be idols, right? That's the deception of sin right there. You, you would argue, how, how's that? Well, I'll, I'll get to that in a second. But your children could be an idol. Kids' sports. Uh-oh. Well, Roger, we're just, you know, it's just June and July. After that, we'll be back to church. Hmm. What'd you teach your kid? Right? Done it, by the way. That was probably one of the biggest fights I ever had with my oldest daughter when she was in OHS and she was a starter on the soccer team. I said, honey, you don't go to practice on Wednesday because we're going to be at church. How about you invite them to come with us? Right? But there was a time there where I, it was tough, right? Hobbies. Hobbies can be idols. Sobriety can be an idol. Right? You need to understand that. Well, I got 232 days and things are just adding up on me. If I get to 233 days, I'll have more sober time than Bob. And then I'll be elected to be the chair and all this other stuff. Sobriety can be an idol. It has been in my life. Religion. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Religion can be an idol. You can't say it. Yeah, I can. I just did. Religion can be an idol. Wherever you are... And, and here's why. Let me just help you understand. Wherever you're giving your time, talent, and money to is usually the indicator of what you're worshiping. You guys have heard that before. Check your bank account. Where's your money going? Right? Ask somebody to ask you, hey, where do you feel like I have an idolatry problem? Because we all do. And let them help you and tell you. 
Next one is sorcery. Uh, it's interesting because the Greek word, word for sorcery is pharma. It's where we get our word pharmacy and pharmaceutical. And the reason is uh, uh, typically when uh, sorcery would take place back then, it was always drug-induced, like substance. There was some chemical or something. It would basically to see the illusions and uh, all the hallucinations and you know, acid. Y'all have been there, right? You know what I'm talking about? That was sorcery and you didn't even know it, right? But its cousin is witchcraft. And, and the reason he's pointing this out is because it's seeking to manipulate your circumstances. And it causes you to rely on something other than God. Examples are astrology. Palm readers. Ouija boards. Mediums. Hey, I heard so-and-so down on 5th and something can uh, talk to the dead. I'm going to go down there and see if they'll talk to my cousin. If they're a Christian, why would you do that? Why wouldn't you wait until you got to heaven? Talk to him forever. You are you're creating something that you... Remember? Spirit of God, demonic spirits, period. Why would you enter into that? I don't, I don't understand, right? Trust God. Believe in Him. Next category is the social sins. And honestly, I, look, I'm going to keep it real with you as a pastor. If it was up to me and I was writing a letter to Galatians, I'd have put this one first. Because this is the most, most prevalent within the church, in my opinion. Social sins among believers that disrupt the unity of the church and hinders the church to be all Jesus intended it to be. Psalm 133, Behold, how good and pleasant is it when brothers dwell in unity. John 17, Jesus prayed that all believers would be unified. Ephesians 4, Paul says there's one faith, one baptism, one Lord, one Spirit. Unity. Imagine the entire church being unified. The numbers, we'd storm the gates of hell. Revival would come and Jesus would be pleased to come, home, to come bring us home. We want to fight. Social sins. Enmity and strife. Enmity is uh, hostility. Strife's kind of the attitude. Or opposition and conflict is how you can uh, basically interpret that. Basically just disagreement on practice or ph uh, philosophy. Like we just can't come to an agreement here, guys. I know there's just too many Democrats in the church. I know that there's too many Republicans in the church. We ain't going to keep fellowshipping with them. I know you guys want the carpet to be green and we want it to be blue. Blue's more representative of spirituality and green isn't. Right? And there's this strife and these attitudes towards you, just disagreeing on, on, on things that, that are not salvific. And it leads to how you treat others. But it's also your attitude towards people being hateful. Jealousy. In the sense that you want glory over other people. This is what creates jealousy within our hearts. You, attention junkies who want to be your God instead of God being your God. Right? Fits of anger, temper tantrums, or outbursts towards others as an object of your frustration. It can be aggressiveness with other people or even spiritual bullying. But I will say this. 
It includes Facebook, too. Quit turning to social media to to air your frustrations towards everybody. Listen, if you was in Kroger's and your child just started screaming and throwing a fit and acting a fool and making you look horrible, you'd be so mad. Well, listen, social media is the supermarket of sin. I mean, it is what it is. And when you get on there and you start tearing down other people because you feel like that's a safe place to do it, it makes you make God look bad. Including your low-key call-outs. Well, I didn't say who specifically. Yeah, but she was arguing with him yesterday. It's obvious who you're talking about. Right? I've done it, by the way. The Christian should have righteous anger. We should hate sin. And that's how we, we should demonstrate our anger is, is towards sin in a loving, generous, restoration way, right? Rivalries are selfish ambitions within the church. Favoritism, right? Choosing your, your family over other people that's in the church. church choosing your, uh, your ministry team as if it's more important than other ministry teams. Favoritism is a sin. James chapter 2, look. Dissensions, gossip about other believers to which I've been guilty. I confess that sin publicly. I like to call it demon talk. Backbiting. Listen, here's the deal. I understand venting. I understand expressing a struggle with a confidant. Like, I get that, and that's necessary. It is. But if you have a friend that you go to and complain about or criticize another Christian or criticize another church or criticize another church leader and after allowing you to vent and they don't force you to go reconcile, you might not have a friend in the faith at all. God gave us the ministry of reconciliation, not separation. Jesus didn't talk about the Pharisees behind their back. He confronted them to their face. By the way, um, you know, if somebody was tearing down your kid, you, you wouldn't tolerate that. You just you wouldn't have nothing to do with it. So you need to understand when somebody's tearing down another Christian, that's God's kid. How do you think he feels about that? Ministry of reconciliation, not separation. All those things lead to divisions. Just a refusal to be unified. I won't worship with them because of this. Well, let me see. Where's that at? That's in uh, uh, Roger chapter 3, verse 21. There's no such thing. God says to reconcile. And if God forgave you, you must forgive others. Envy. Envy is just being unsatisfied with what God has given you, so you covet someone else's gift or gifts. I want to be more like them. I wish I was more like them. That's sin. That's ungratefulness. By the way, why don't we celebrate people more? Right? Why do we want the recognition and the attention? Instead of lifting other... Let's brag on other people. I challenge everybody in here it has got Facebook to just brag on other people within the church this week. Man, Jason Jewell is an amazing gift to the church. 
Dude's heart is unbelievable. And I hope to love my wife one day as much as he does. Why don't we do that more? Instead of, hey, did you hear what so-and-so put on Facebook yesterday? <laughs> Told you he's a moron. <laughs> Celebrate others. Drunkenness. Drunkenness. Guys, there's a whole sermon right here, right? Huge debate. Should, should a Christian drink? All I can tell you is it doesn't say drink, but drunkenness. The state of being buzzed. If there's no moderation, then it's sin. Or it can cause sin, is the point. And while this seems to focus on alcohol, remember he said things like these. Well, alcohol's legal, so's kratom. I'm not taking it. Right? Marijuana. Meth. I know people, listen, I know people in the church who are drunks, drunkards, trying to lead the church. I, I don't understand because this says drunkard. By the way, sober is mentioned nine times in the New Testament, four times for leaders specifically. It's a sign of maturity. You're relying, you're trying to escape reality or pain, and you're trying to rely on something else other than God, and it's a sin. It is what it is. Be sober-minded is what Peter says. Ephesians 5.18 says, don't get drunk with wine. Oh, well, I don't drink wine. I drink whiskey. <laughs> well, Jesus turned water into wine to have a drink, not to get drunk. Which leads to reckless living, but be filled by the Spirit. Peter says be sober-minded or else you cannot be alert for where the, the enemy attacks. 1 Peter 5, 8, you guys know that. Be alert, be sober-minded. Why? Because if I get drunk, I do stupid stuff. And I might say things that I don't mean. And finally, orgies. And I know where your mind goes uh, because we've twisted that to look differently. It seems sexual and it can be in our culture, but here more, it's more about wild living, just reckless, careless living, right? No self-control. If you're anything like me, you're probably thinking, I'm glad we just got through those. But I'm more glad he didn't mention my pet sin, so I must be in the clear. Uh, verse 21b says, and things like these. Okay? Things like these. There's no such thing as the seven deadly sins. Those are just extra sins added to the list that's already mentioned in the Bible, guys. Right? Oh, those seven deadly sins, they're way worse than the others. No, they're not. That's Hollywood. So it's not limited to, it's not this exhaustive list of all sins, but it's clearly referenced as evidence of areas that we all need to allow God to work on us. Remember, he's talking to Christians, guys. It's a maturity issue when these things are happening, which oftentimes leads believers to question their own salvation. So I need you to understand, this is a warning. This is an engine light on the dashboard of your vehicle. It's an explanation as to what's taking place. It's not an eviction notice. God warns His people of things not to do. 
The key word here from all, most of the other translations, because it says, because what happens is it says, uh, those who do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And everybody freaks out, right? Well, man, I, I have an issue with being angry. I, am I a Christian? That's not the case. The key word here is practice. Most of the other translations will say, those who practice these things, those who are habitually doing these things without any repentance, it's those who won't inherit the kingdom of God. I'm warning you as I warned you before. That's what Galatians 5 talks about, right? It's the thorn. In the flesh, it's the sin that we all have and we all struggle with that smells like teen spirit. Those who practice these things habitually without confession and repentance, without trying to fight against these things, it's those people who won't inherit the kingdom of God because they're probably not Christians anyways. It's just, it, it is what it is, right? 21. Verse 21, I warn you as I warned you before. Those who do such things, those who practice those things, will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so you might wonder, why would, why would we need a warning if, if we can't lose our salvation or if God's uh, in total control or however you want to think about that? Why would we need a warning? So I'm going to make sense of that. There's a captain and his crew and they're on a ship and they're in the ocean. And a horrible storm comes. And the captain's in the lighthouse, right? And he can see for miles what's to come. But there's a couple crew members who think, I, I may be able to be helpful, but even if I'm not, I don't care. I'm going to get out of here because I feel like my salvation's at jeopardy. So they jump in a little bitty uh, boat with a... Uh, what, uh, what is that? <laughs> Trolley motor. Thank you. Fishing champion for eight years, he don't even know what a trolley motor is. Well, they jump, and the, and the captain comes out because he's in the wheelhouse and he says, Hey, hey, don't go. If you go, if you leave, you're going to die. That's a warning. Your salvation isn't in jeopardy, but I promise you, if you go that way, it could be. Right? 22. And 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. What I wish we could do this morning, because I feel like it's what we need to spend more time on, just elaborating on the fruit of the Spirit, because Christians can be real ugly at sometimes. We can. We can be the most unforgiving, graceless people there are. Right? Treat people certain ways. But we don't have time. However, what I will say, in contrast to the sins that we've looked at, these are the signs of maturity. These give us an idea what we should be striving for because each of these manifests from one tree rooted in a right relationship with Jesus. That's why fruit is singular and works of the flesh is plural. Because it starts with love, because God is the Spirit and God is love, and true love are each of these things manifesting themselves. Works of the flesh was plural because evil has many faces and can show itself in many ways differently. But the fruit of the Spirit is like crunch berries, it's all in one box. 
The, because God lives in there. He's the corn oak or whatever. And then all the, the fruits of the Spirit are just the colored berries that are good, right? Would Lucky Charms have been better there? I was just curious. All right, anyway. And because of this warning that we have here in the Scripture, we have a responsibility. We're tasked to compare each, and where we're falling short, we must crucify the flesh. 24 and 25, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with His passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Listen, John Owen, famous theologian, is what he says. Be killing your sin or it will be killing you. That's that's kind of strong. Well, listen to what Jesus says. If it causes you to sin, cut it off. I thought Jesus was real loving and gentle. He is, until it comes to sin. Matthew 5.30, and if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it. Christians, some of y'all need to hear us today. Cut it off. Get rid of it. Cancel your subscription. Unfriend somebody. Cut it off. For it's better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Well, surely he wouldn't send anybody to... I ain't going to find out. And where that may seem over the top, we have a Savior who leads by example. You know what God did with the sin of the world? He crucified His Son to a cross. God don't play with sin. To the extent He killed His own Son. Music team, you can start heading this way. Listen, I realize that um, this can feel real preaching down on you. And uh, that's what always makes me real nervous to deal with scriptures like this. But I'm the first one to fall short and sin daily. Period. However, I also know that I am forgiven. And while I may beat myself up over it, I'm encouraged and reminded by my sin that I haven't arrived yet and I too must rely on God to help me grow in some of them areas. Amen? And so, one might ask, how could I crucify my sin? You might have heard from the Lord today, you've recognized something that you need to get rid of, but when you think of crucifying your flesh, you think, how in the world can I do that? I'm going to tell you, it starts with confession. Confession is equal to crucifixion. Because darkness... Light can't shine in darkness, guys. Some of y'all need to confess your sin today so the crucifixion can take place. Godly sorrow leads to repentance, guys. When we confess, it's us lining up with what God calls sin, humbling yourself so that it leads you to repentance. I'm going to share two things with you real quick. One, uh, um, so we're, this is kind of silly, but I mean, it's just real, right? Like, it's an example of the works of the flesh. Um, I'm a diabetic. I'm not supposed to eat candy. That's not it. We're getting candy for kids right now. April 3rd. Well, somebody else put the bags of candy in my office this week. No self-control. 
put it there, I'm going for it. That, can, that bag of candy got busted open. I'm going to replace it, but I'm just being real with you guys, and you guys, well, yeah, right, but that's kind of silly. No, it gets better, guys. It gets better. Last Sunday, we had a leadership meeting where the church leaders all come together, and we, we plan, and we discuss things, and man, I had come to church that morning. Uh, I was just in the zone, right? Like, I was, I was amped. I was ready. I was ready to worship, uh, get here. Um, you know, worship team just created an environment where I was like, "Woo! Nick killed it. Like, I was like, poof, poof, good job, Nick. You know what I mean? Kick that one out of the park, brother. And I was, I was just feeling it, and I started talking to some of the different leaders throughout that morning, and every one of them was smarting off to me. But I was in the Spirit, and I kept yielding to the Spirit. I was like, y'all won't even say nothing. Just going to stay prayed up, baby. You know what I mean? Going to keep doing my thing. And then church is over, and we end up in there for the leadership meeting, and I won't say who, but he's standing behind me. He decides he's going to smart off to me one more time. And I, it just, it was over. It just, I could, no control. I was like, and I, and listen, it is kind of funny, but I felt, I felt horrible about it. But I, literally my response was, I don't know why y'all got to be a bunch of smart donkeys. I did not say donkeys. I cussed them. I'm in a church leadership meeting cussing the leaders, calling them cuss words. And, and while it is kind of, but man, it just killed me out. Like later at night, I got up to use the bathroom and I couldn't even go back to sleep because I just kept thinking about how ignorant I looked. But I'm supposed to be a leader. Guys, some of them had their kids in there. Right? So I get it. We all wrestle with the flesh. We all fall short. But we need to confess that and we need to be intentional. We need to crucify our flesh. And if you're feeling that condemnation from some of your sin, there is grace that's greater for the believer than any condemnation. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, where Paul was talking about the messenger of Satan, the thorn that was in his flesh. He also says, but God said to me, Jesus said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is perfected in your weaknesses. And that messenger of Satan, that thorn in your flesh, is designed to humble you. So this morning we're going to close with a sacred moment with Jesus by observing communion. Cups are in front of you. I'm sorry. Go ahead and grab them. If any of you don't know, uh, the top piece is the wafer. The other is the juice. I invite you this morning to observe communion with us. Before we get started, don't, don't take it yet. Before we get started, Paul says that we should examine ourselves. We should confess our sin before God so that God can help us deal with that sin. Amen? So I'm going to take just a few seconds of silence and let you guys go to the throne. If you're not in Christ, don't take communion. It's for a believer. It is. But I invite you to accept Christ today so you could take communion with us. He'd want nothing more. Let's go before the throne, confess our sin.
on the night before his betrayal, as they were eating, Jesus took the bread. He blessed it and he broke it. And he gave it for the disciples and he said, Take and eat. This is my body that's been broken for you. You could take now. Then he took a cup. And after giving thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant that was spilt for you, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Guys, I, I'm just feeling led right now to, to really push somebody towards... We can privately confess sin and you can publicly confess sin. You can cry out to God right here this morning. Let God help you deal with what you're struggling with. Right? Join us as we close in song. But take this moment serious. Hey, thanks for joining us today. A special thanks to those who sow into this ministry. If you'd like to partner with us financially, text all one word, Matthew's Table, to 73256. That's Matthew's Table to 73256. It's because of you this ministry is possible. If you like what you've heard, click the subscribe button and share it with your friends. You never know what God can do through your one act of obedience. Have a great week. We'll see you next week. God bless.